I want to thank our worship team for leading us this morning. And uh, I want to thank you guys for always being a congregation that sings. So not every church does that. And it's great to be a part of. So if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Chris Reed. I'm the discipleship minister here at the church at Woodbine. Our campus uh, pastor, Doug Jones, is on sabbatical, um, getting a lot of rest. He's away for four or five weeks. He's going to be back on July 11th. So mark your calendars, July 11th. That's what we'll be angling towards. Uh, As you may or may not know, we've been going through Romans chapter 8. So we've dedicated four Sundays to that. This is the third Sunday going through Romans chapter 8. And so if you would stand with me in honor of God's Word, if you have a copy of the Scriptures, we're starting in Romans 8. We're looking at verses 18 through 30. Romans 8, 18 to 30. You can follow along on the screen or read with your copy of the Scriptures. So Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do, know, we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Let me pray for us. Lord, we we do want your Holy Spirit to be here, be present, teach us what we need to hear. Whatever kind of a word that is, encouragement, conviction, whatever it is, we just want it to be true, and we want to hear from you, and we pray that we would act on what we hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. So, as I have sat with this passage for the course of the last week, um, my heart has continually gone back to verse 18. So I would encourage you to keep your scriptures open while we're walking through this morning. Look back at verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so this is the controlling idea that I see in this passage. Paul is telling us that longing for and believing in a better day makes today more bearable. You can probably relate to that. Longing for and believing in a better day makes today more bearable. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. One of the best ways to deal with the present ongoing suffering in our life is to take the long view. 
When you focus on where you're headed, when you focus on where you're headed, the end result, many times it can have a transformative effect in your mind about your current situation. When you focus on the destination, your situation may not change, but lots of times your emotions about your situation does. So here's an example. If you had a job that, you, uh, that was difficult, that you didn't like, can anybody imagine having a job that was difficult that they didn't like? Some, some of you are there immediately. Uh, and I said, <clears throat> tell you what, let's take a trip to Florida. And how about we go the week after Labor Day? Because I think that's a smart idea. The crowds have kind of died down. So it'll be uh, second week in September. And you're like, okay, that's about two and a half months from now. If you were in a situation that was difficult, that you didn't like, and I gave you something to look forward to, it would have a transformative effect on your emotions, sometimes almost magical effect. You would start to dream about what you were going to do when we got there. Well, who's coming? Um, Well, we got this group right here. And what do you want to do? And what do you hope happens? And what do you hope? This is a lot of what this patch is about today. Hope. What do you hope happens? What do you hope happens? I hope I can just rest. I hope our family can get closer together. I I hope I can just read a book. I hope I can go paddleboarding. I've never done that before. And dreaming about the future, again, I might repeat myself a little bit this morning, dreaming about the future makes the present more bearable. And that's what I see Paul telling us in verse 18. But he's, we're, we're transposing this onto what it's like to live in this world now, knowing that one day we're going to be going home to heaven, the present sufferings of this world. So just to paint you into the picture, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, how did we get here? Um, In chapter 7, Paul is talking about his struggle with sin. And he's talking about the fact that the the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I want to stay from, I keep being drawn towards. And I just can't beat it. Um, what a, what a wretched man am I now the last two weeks we've talked about the importance of when you're, when you're in that, which we all are, um, you have to focus on your identity. So you have to focus on that. There's no condemnation in Christ. You're forgiven. Last week, Hunter talked about the fact that we're adopted, that we can call God daddy and Abba. And all that is very true. But what I hear Paul saying in this passage, especially as I look at verse 18 is he says, uh, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Although that's true, and if, and if, that, those, if those identity pieces weren't true, we wouldn't be able to make it. But as much as I take comfort in the fact that I'm a son, I'm a child of God, the suffering is still here. The struggle is still here. The wrestling match is still here. Day to day. And... <clears throat> It can be kind of, um, I think, I don't know if demoralizing is kind of a strong word, but I think you start to feel that the world is broken. You know, we sing that song, do you feel the world is broken? We do. Um, Do you wish that it could all be made new? We do. Um, We feel that. One of the key words, interestingly enough, in this passage, because it's a strange word to really highlight and say, look at this word, is the word groan, okay? I saw the word groan used in this passage at least three times. Um, The word groan in this context, to me, has to do with if somebody was carrying around a real heavy load for a long time, and um, they've been carrying it around for so long that they might not even have words to go along with it. They would just make a noise, like, ugh. Like some, sometimes the emotions that we feel in life go beyond words and they just move to noises. Oof, 
when you're really put out with somebody. You don't even, you don't even have words. You just go, Bleh. when you're really tired, you're just like, oh, gosh. Like, what did you say? I don't know. I made a noise. But somehow that was more powerful than, <clears throat> than, than words would have actually been. And so um, how do we interact with this? How do we interact with this? I'll give you a couple of sentences here. Although I'm in Christ, how do I carry the weight of everyday life not really being fixable? How do we live in the time in between now and heaven? And then this phrase in particular, I'd like this one to hang on the screen. How do you live life knowing there are some things that will never be fully resolved? How do you live life knowing there are some things that will never be fully resolved? These weights you carry around, these relationships that can't get resolved, the, the habits that you can't kick. What do we do? And I think this is what Paul is talking to us about in this passage. And I want to leave us, I want to, I want to present us today with four things that we can do, that you can do, that I can do. How do you live life knowing there are some things that will never be fully resolved? The first one is this, dream about heaven. Dream about heaven. Some of you dream about heaven. Some of you maybe have dreamed about heaven in the past. Some of you have maybe never thought about intentionally dreaming about heaven. But I want to encourage you to do that today. So in the first few verses that we read, if you look like following after verse 18, Paul uses two examples to talk about how to long for the future. Okay. He uses two examples to talk about how we long for the future. One that he alludes to is pregnancy. Okay. This one's fairly easy to latch onto. I've never been pregnant, so I got to be careful when I'm going like out of my, you know, area of expertise. But from what I can tell, being pregnant is uh, uncomfortable. It's hot. It's inconvenient in a lot of ways, especially in July, if you're pregnant in July, so um, in the summer months. But if you focus on the joy that is to come, your baby being born, using your imagination to think of all the things that are going to happen, imagining the future even past the birth, it has this transformative effect on your current pain. Your current pain hasn't changed, but your mindset has started to change because you're looking at the future, because you're taking the long view. Now, the second example that Paul uses, I, admittedly, I will tell you, <clears throat> it's not as easily accessible to us, mainly because we don't live in a society where most people farm. Okay, we used to, but we don't anymore. So Paul talks about the fact that the whole creation groans. The whole creation groans. And what is he talking about? So if you look back, what what he's alluding to is in Genesis chapter 3. So in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. Excuse me. Adam and Eve sinned. And when they did, God cursed four things. He cursed uh, the serpent. He cursed the woman. He cursed the man. And then it specifically says in Genesis 3 that he cursed the earth. And that the earth longs to be reunited with men and women in a harmonious relationship. As if to say before, when we lived in the garden, maybe, maybe we had to work, but work wasn't hard. Um, creation provided food for us, and it was relatively easy. But now, the, in Genesis 3, it talks about the fact that creation provides thorns and thistles and weeds for us, and it's a whole lot harder to get food than it was before. And the earth is personified as a person. A per, the earth, the world, is personified as a person that has feelings and desires. And it's, and it's saying, man, I, I want to get back to the place where I'm cooperating with mankind. And the earth looks forward to that. So again, that, that may not be an analogy that um, 
readily connects with us. It's a fun rabbit hole to go down if you want to start exploring, like, what, what other feelings does the earth have? But, um, but what Paul is expressing is that the earth looks forward to the way things will be one day. And the same way the earth looks to be made right in the future, we look for things to be made right in the future. We look forward to ourselves being made right in the future. We look forward to God setting all things to rights. And one of the things that I see in this passage is he tells us how to wait. So again, if you've got your noses in the scriptures, I noticed something that was unique to this passage. So I'll give you a couple of verses. It was verse 19, 23, and 25. Verse 19, 23, and 25. He says that we're supposed to wait patiently with eagerness. We're supposed to wait patiently with eagerness. And I, I, I kind of tripped on that and I stopped and I was like, I know what it means to be patient and I know what it means to be eager, but what does it mean to be eagerly patient? Because I'm pretty sure this is what you're asking us to do. And so the best example I could come up with was uh, even from my own childhood, Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, okay? You're jumping out of your pants, you can't go to sleep, you're so excited about Christmas presents in the morning, you can't go to sleep, Christmas Eve, you wake up, crack it on, your parents have told you, you have to stay at the top of the stairs until 5 o'clock a.m., you cannot come down the stairs, you must stay on the landing until, until then, because they don't want to get up any earlier than that. But you're up there, like, you're just waiting at the starting line, like, maybe your upper body's still, but your lower body's, like, shaking, like, that's a picture of... eager patience, eager patience. Okay. Can you take that and have that emotion in your life in some way? When you think about heaven, when you think about the future, when you think about what it's going to be like, do you feel that way at all? Because you can, and you should. And one of the ways that I would recommend that you do that. Lots of times when I preach, I talk about what you should do at lunch on Sunday you know, I, I, for some reason, I always bring that up. This is a good thing for you to talk about at lunch today. Okay, so this is a good thing for you to talk about at lunch today. Bring it up and say, what are you looking forward to about heaven? Dream, okay? I'm looking forward to having a better set of knees because my knees have just been terrible for a long time. I'm looking forward to that new body. Didn't that, didn't that passage just talk about the redemption of our bodies? I'm looking forward to that. Let's talk about what my body's going to look like in heaven. Um, you can do that. There's, there is value in that because it creates this expectant hopefulness. Just like I said, what do you want to do when you, go, when you get to Florida? What do you want to do when you get to heaven? Do you want to meet somebody in the scriptures that had a big impact on your life? Do you want to talk with a relative that may have passed away? Boy, that's what I want to do first. I want to do that. Um, do you want to just see if the streets are actually made of gold, or is that a metaphor? Like, I, want to, I got some investigation I want to do when I get up there. Um, it's fun. It's fun to dream about the way it could be. One word of caution, um, and I don't think you guys would go off the deep end with this. You want to make sure you don't confuse your imagination with what the Scripture says. But the thing is, the Scriptures are kind of vague on the details. We have, we have some sense of what heaven is going to be like. Um, maybe you would say it's appropriately vague. Maybe God did it that way on purpose. So you don't want to confuse you know, your imagination with anything that the scriptures would say. But I would just say, try this, have fun with it, because this is how you create a lot of that eager anticipation. But what I'd like to read over us to close out this point is um, Revelation 21. All right, you can see it on the screen, but just to prime the pump, 
to get you thinking about where we're headed. We need to have our mind on where we're headed, our destination. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, this is my favorite part. God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God, and he'll wipe every tear away from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. So how do we live with these ongoing sufferings? The things that no matter... There's just a a certain amount of ongoing suffering to everyday life. Again, no matter how clued you are into who you are in Christ one of the best things you can do is dream about the future. The second thing I would say is this, and it's kind of connected, is remember that this world is not your home. Remember that this world is not your home. I think this is something that we very easily forget. I think we very easily forget that this world is not our home because we've never been there. You know, I know what my home back in back in Tulsa is like because I've been there and I can look forward to going back there, but it's kind of weird to look forward to going home. Home is a place I've never been before. But I'll tell you this, and this is me just kind of sharing something personal, and I'm so glad that I get, get the chance to share this. One of my favorite designations that the scriptures tell me who I am is the scriptures tell us, tell, tell you and me that you, that you are a sojourner. You're a sojourner. Now, a sojourner is a person who resides temporarily in a place, a person who resides temporarily in a place. So if you told me I had to go live in Florida, I mean, excuse me, another F word, France. If you told me I had to go live in France, for example, for like five years, and I knew I was coming back here, coming back to my home, the whole time I was there, I would know that that wasn't really my country I would know that that wasn't really my nationality. I mean, as nice as I would be, I'm sure, to the people there and whatnot. But I would be a sojourner. I would, it would be a temporary place to live. And the scriptures are very clear that this world is a temporary place where we live, that we are on a journey to a destination. And so this is the passage that I'd like to read. It's Hebrews 11. 13 through 16. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. It's referring to some of the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob. So Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 says, These all died in the faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance. They greeted them, and they confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. That's an identity statement, and I love that identity statement. And it's true. And it helps you navigate life when you remember that you are a temporary resident on the earth. Now, those who say such things like us make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. That's what we're doing. We're seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place a heavenly one. That's what we do. We desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So this world is not your home. One way I would unpack this, and 
I might stick a little closer to my notes on this one because I know what I have to say is extremely powerful, but I've had the toughest time trying to figure out the sequence to say it in this week. It's connected to the fact that this world is not your home. On a daily basis, we look, around, we look at the world around us and we see things that are broken, and so we try to fix them, and we should. We should try to obey God. We should try to help his kingdom come now. We should try to be in this world and not of this world. We should try to repair relationships. We should fight for justice. And you know, sometimes we do actually fix things in this world. Sometimes we do see his kingdom break through. We see glimpses of it. We see there's, you know, some afternoons you'll actually see people dwelling together in harmony. You see people forgive each other. You see people that have strength using their strength to protect the weak instead of to exploit the weak. You see glimpses of it. But for as much as we see flashes of beauty and glimpses of heaven, they never seem to last. And you probably felt this. You may, may feel this right now. You see moments of beauty. You know, the, the sun breaks through the clouds for a minute, and then it goes back behind the clouds. In the process of trying to maybe say, I would say, repair this world as we live as salt and light in this world, many times we forget what this world is. Okay? This world is not our home. This world is a ruined paradise. This world is a battlefield. In this place, we are strangers and aliens. And the Bible's pretty clear about the fact that Satan is the ruler of this world. And lots of times, I think, when you forget that, when you forget that that's what this is, I think sometimes we actually try to we try to fix this world thinking that we might actually be able to fix it. And a lot of us experience a lot of fresh frustration and disappointment in this life. So if you're expecting that if you work in this life long enough and hard enough that you'll eventually reach a place where things come together and they stay together, you'll be continually frustrated and disappointed with life. And in life, your frustration is directly linked to your expectation. If you, your, your frustration is directly linked to your expectation. If you want to be less frustrated, you need to change your expectations. Um, and I think in this case, make sure your expectations are biblical. So the problem is many times we're expecting life to be something that it can't be. And we don't realize we're doing this. We don't do it on purpose. But what we've done is we've set our hopes on this life. Man, I think I can fix it. If I just keep trying, we've set our hopes on this life instead of the life to come. So, and you'll have to tell me if you agree or disagree with this. It sounds like what I'm saying kind of sounds depressing. It sounds like what you're saying, Chris, is so you're telling me to expect life to always disappoint me at some level. And I would say yes. You should expect life to always disappoint you at some level. You should try to make things work, but this world is always going to leave you wanting just a little bit with everything you do. No boss is ever going to treat you perfectly. No marriage is ever going to satisfy your every need in life. No job is ever going to make you feel like you have purpose every day. No roommate is always going to treat you with enough kindness and consideration. No friendship is ever going to uplift you every time you need it. And no government is ever going to make all the right decisions. This world is broken, as much as we see glimpses of heaven. But the ironic thing is, when you expect life not to totally work, 
It actually makes you more grateful for the times that it does instead of more demanding for the times when it doesn't. And it gives you a lot of more grace on other people when they make mistakes. I'm not looking at this world to be messed up. I just recognize what it is. This world is not our home. It's an imperfect place that we're passing through on the way to our home. So, thirdly, thirdly, I would say this. Remember that God is making you look like Jesus. Now, this is in reference to verses 28 to 30. So if you look down in verses 28 to 30, when you heard me read this passage, you might have heard the word predestination. And you're like, okay, let's see, let's see, if, see if we go into that. Here's what I'd like to say about that this morning. Um, I don't have a problem talking about the, um, the doctrine of predestination. What I've noticed in Christian circles is because that subject is so engrossing and it's so deep and it's so hard to figure out, I've watched people have conversations for hours, and at the end of that conversation, they're so tired that they forget what they're predestined for. Okay? So that's what I want to talk about this morning, is what you're predestined for. Because if you're in Christ, this passage tells us what we're predestined for. If you're not in Christ this morning, you can accept him today. You can repent of your sins. He'll accept you. He'll forgive you. But what are we predestined for? Even in the word predestined is the word destination. What are we destined for? You, um, a, a lot of people, well, okay, okay, hang on a sec. Let me make sure I'm saying this the way I want to say it. If you're in Christ, what you're predestined for is to be conformed into the image of Christ, okay? Verse 29 tells us that. You're, you are predestined to be conformed in the image of Christ. That's what God is doing to you in this life, and that's what God will ultimately do to you when you die. He's making you look like Jesus. And whenever you understand what God is trying to do to you now and to you later, it makes it a whole lot easier to cooperate with him in daily life, as opposed to just being frustrated. Why is it this way? Why is that? Why this? Why that? Um, one verse that's comforted Christians for, I guess you could say, millennia now is verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. The way I understand this passage is the good that God works towards is making you look more like Christ. I connect that to the verse a couple, a couple, just, just, just right after that. The good that he's doing in your life is he's conforming you into the image of Christ. The struggles of this life may never fully be resolved. But if you're in Christ, God is using the struggles in your life to make you look more like Jesus. Do you want to look more like Jesus? If I say, if I say that, does, does that make you happy? Do you have like no emotion connected to it? Have you never thought about it? Because that's what he's doing to us and that's where we're headed. Is that something you want? He's making you look more like Jesus. So I'll offer you one concept to cooperate with God on this. I'll say a vague statement, and then I'll make it clear. Um, many times in our lives, God is trying to do the exact opposite of the thing he's taking us through. All right, that's appropriately vague. I pretty, pretty much nobody understood what I said there. God is trying to do to us the opposite of what he's taking us through. So I think about the fruit of the Spirit. If you're in a situation where you're tempted to hate, he's teaching you how to love. 
If you're in a situation where you're tempted to be impatient, he's teaching you how to be patient. If you're in a situation where you're tempted to be harsh, he's teaching you how to be merciful. If you're in a situation where you're tempted to fly off the handle, that's an opportunity to develop self-control. And if you're in a situation where you're tempted to abandon or quit, that's an opportunity to be faithful. In all those situations, that's fruit of the Spirit. He's making you look more like Jesus. Because all those nine, the nine fruit of the Spirit, that's what Jesus looks like. He's conforming you into his image. And when you know what God is doing to you, and you know where he's taking you, it makes it a whole lot easier to cooperate with God. And maybe I would even say it makes it a whole lot easier to dance with God, if that's not taking it too far. So I'd like to, I'm actually going to close with the fourth point. And this fourth point is going to lead um, into uh, worship. So if our worship team would like to come on up, the fourth point is this. How we deal with these ongoing sufferings in life is that we take comfort knowing that the Holy Spirit prays for us. It's It's in verses 26 through 27. Verses 26 through 27. For as much as the struggles of this life can sometimes be overwhelming and leave us not knowing what to do, sometimes the experiences of this life leave us not knowing what to say. (laughs) That's true. You've been in situations where you don't know what to do. You've probably been in situations where you don't know what to say. And you've probably been in situations where you don't know what to pray. So I'm going to read verse 26 and 27. Verse 26 and 26 And 27 says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. Sometimes when we've carried something around for so long, maybe some of us decades, we know who we are in Christ, but the weight is just heavy. And and we feel that word groan that Paul talks about at the start of this passage. But the Spirit himself, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I'd like to close by asking the Holy Spirit to pray for us. I'd like for all of us to, if if you're game, if you're willing, just to pray personally. And we're going to lead into worship with this. If anybody would like to talk after the service is over, I'll be down here at the next steps area to, to your right, if you'd like to talk or pray. But I'd like to close with the Holy Spirit and what we're, I mean, with a prayer. And what we're standing on here is a guarantee. The scripture says this clearly. So let's all ask the Holy Spirit to pray for us. Holy Spirit, according to this passage, You pray for us. You pray for us according to God's will. And we thank you for this. We ask that you would pray for us now. Maybe even let us know what you're praying for on our behalf so that we can pray our prayers, pray your prayers with our own words. But even if we don't know what you're asking for, we trust that your heart is good. We know that what you're asking for is the right thing to ask for. We thank you for caring for us. We thank you for always being with us. But Holy Spirit, pray for us now.